In John chapter 1, you're going to say, how can I go to John chapter 1 for Christmas? Oh, trust me, we'll get there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, all, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made and has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May God bless the reading of his word to us today. The gifts we receive on Christmas are often given in gaily wrapped and wonderfully with ribbons and bows, and the paper conceals what's hidden inside. Similarly, the gifts that the wise men were like wrapping paper. They were concealing a special gift of great value. And you know what they were, but let, let's give you a little humorous now. Humorous Dave Barry wrote about the gifts that were brought by the wise men. He suggested if you examine that story very carefully, you will find that there's an overlooked theological fact in the story. There's no mentioning at all of wrapping paper. First, now, now these, first, these guys were wise men, and second, they were men. When it comes to wrapping gifts, it seems that some men lack the necessary skills in this area. They were happy in a brown paper bag. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are pointing at, don't point at anybody, you're gonna get me sidetracked here. You can always, well, almost always tell which gifts under the trees were wrapped by a man, can't you? Now, for you trivia lovers, did you know that 50% of all paper consumed in the U.S. is used for gift wrapping and decorating? And with regards to gift wrapping, each year, each year people buy an estimated eight thousand tons of wrapping paper and Christmas wrapping sales Christmas wrap sales exceed 2.6 billion dollars every year and that's a lot of money to spend on wrapping paper papers whose only purpose on the gift is to hide what's within in Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 we're told, and upon going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there, now there's a strong possibility, pardon me, <coughs> that these three gifts were what actually helped Mary and Joseph support themselves when they fled to Egypt. And I can make another whole sermon that God supplied their needs in advance. But that's not where we're going to go today. Why these gifts were very expensive and very, very helpful. I suspect that each of these gifts this, were more like a wrapping paper around the gift. And that's what we'll explore today. Beautiful on the outside, but inside there was something 
valuable hidden. Now, first let's consider gold. Gold has always seemed to be an expensive gift. On today's market, the cost of gold is a little over $2,000 an ounce. That adds up to $32,000 a pound. That's a lot of money. In the Middle East, gold was principally reserved for royalty because they were pretty much the only ones who could afford the stuff. Pharaohs of Egypt insisted on being buried in gold. King Tut, you all know him, he was enshrined in three gold coffins, one inside the other. The third and final coffin, the third and final coffin was made from 243 pounds of solid gold. Do you remember me telling you it's worth 32 thousand dollars a pound do some math that was the third and final coffin okay yeah we you, if you're a visitor here you always get a little trivia now in Persia there's a mausoleum built for Cyrus the great the king mentioned in the Old Testament inside his tomb is a golden couch and a golden coffin the coffin lid held the body of Cyrus and then now there's King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonian Empire. He ordered a huge gold-plated statue erected commemorating his personal greatness and glory. Everyone was ordered to bow down and worship the golden image. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's another whole sermon for another date. God was there. But to man, gold has always been. We worship different things. Gold has always been very expensive. It's the currency of kings. And so it was a gift fit for a king. So hidden within that gift of gold was the proclamation that Jesus is king. And that's what the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 declares. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, his kingdom is ordered and established. And with judgment and justice from time forevermore and amen. Now that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, if you want to read it later. Jesus was born to be a king. The next gift, frankincense. Frankincense was a very rare and expensive oil. Frankincense and myrrh were both made from plants which is difficult to grow outside of their native environment, which makes these oils and the plants all the more rare and expensive. They're worth their weight in gold, actually. Frankincense is a gum-like material, a resin that comes from the trunk of the Boswell tree. Even today, people use its oil. They use it on their skin and these little things that make the house smell pretty. It's commonly used as a fragrance in soaps and lotions and perfumes. And you better be really kick out some money. But back in the Old Testament times, 
Frankincense was a gift offered to God. That's what it was. It was burned in the temple as an offering to God. That's Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2, if you wish to read it. And then it was mixed with other items and became a perfume for God. So frankincense is an offering or a gift to God. So hidden within that gift to Jesus was the message, Jesus is God in flesh. And so the wise men came to worship Jesus. And their gift of frankincense declared that Jesus was God. Quoting a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 4, no, verse 7. Let me say that again. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I'll get that right. Matt, the virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now you can also read that in Matthew 1, 23. Or Colossians 2, 9 onward it says, And for in him dwells the whole fullness of deity bodily, and you share the faith and fullness of him who is head and the principle of power. That's what the gift of frankincense was declaring, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And then that brings us to myrrh, one of the last three gifts. Of all the gifts, this is the one that most intrigues me. Because you see the message of gold spoke of Jesus as my king. The message of frankincense spoke of him as my God. But myrrh spoke of him as having come to be my savior. The main reason Jesus came to earth was to be our sacrifice for our sins. It is his blood that brought us a covering, the forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 tells us, Sydney and that Jesus lives forever and has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to complete, to save completely those who come to God through him because he is always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, the one who is holy. Blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He, he was sacrificed for their sins once and for all. Now, once again, that's Hebrews chapter 7. Pardon me. <coughs> Any of you having trouble with all the air and the stuff going through it? Ah. <sighs> It's that time of year, isn't it? But you notice we're not done with our message here, so I got to keep going. So where does myrrh fit into this picture of the gifts? Well, first, Jesus came to offer his blood as our high priest. And myrrh was used in the Old Testament as an ingredient in the oil used to anoint the priest who served God. 
Exodus chapter 30, verses 23 and 25. When a man was anointed to be a priest, oil set him apart as the priest. So the gift of myrrh that the wise men brought declared that Jesus had come to be our priest. He had come to offer the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. But where did Jesus offer that sacrifice? On the cross. And why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because Jesus is not only our high priest, he's also our sacrifice. It was his death on the cross that paid the price for our sins. For thousands of years, myrrh had been a vital part in the embalming and the preserving of bodies. And after Jesus died on the cross, Pilate gave permission for Joseph, and they came and took the body away. And he came with Nicodemus and a man who'd come to Jesus at night. They brought 75 pounds of perfumed anointed of myrrh and aloes. That's what he was wrapped in. Following the, the Jewish burial customs, they wrapped his body with spices and long sheets of ribbons, actually swaddling clothes, if you want to check it out. And that's found in John chapter 19, verse 38. So after Jesus was born, he was given myrrh, and after his body had died, he was wrapped in myrrh. Myrrh speaks of Jesus' death and burial. What's interesting is that frankincense had to be burnt to give up its odor. But myrrh had to be crushed and beaten or beaten and crushed, however I wrote it in there, before it would give off any fragrance. And before Jesus died on the cross, his body was beaten and crushed by the Roman soldiers. God declared that Jesus was our king. Frankincense declared that he was our God. Myrrh declared he was our savior. Those are the gifts the wise men brought. Now, you cannot have Christmas without Easter. And you cannot have Easter without Christmas. They, they kind of go, they're a match set. And when Jesus was born in the manger, he was literally born to die. That's why he came. He was wrapped in the soft body of a newborn babe to be a gift that is actually beyond our earthly comprehension. Now, when preachers do Christmas sermons, they rarely use 1 John as their text. I mean, there's nothing in the gospel about John, about the shepherds or the angels or the wise men, right? There's no mention of Mary or the manger. There's no nativity scene. But the first chapter of John explains why we have Christmas. It explains why the birth of Jesus matters. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is John 1.1. 1, 1. The entire Gospel of John declares and is dedicated to helping us understand one concept. Jesus is God. 
Now, all the other Gospels point to this, too. For example, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23, tells us that the angels declared, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and the child will bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But, but John just comes right out, right out of the box, saying, the word, Jesus, was God. John is telling us this is important. Pay attention. But why is this gift important? Well, there's a couple reasons come to mind. The first is the idea of God, honestly, is an abstract concept for most people. When we think of God, many people have fuzzy images of what God is like. A lot of folks have a hard time grasping the reality, what is the reality of God. Especially unsaved people, it's hard. But with Jesus, there's a different, it's different because Jesus was God in the flesh. Everything Jesus tells us, everything he does is what God does. Every, everything he's like is what God's like. Jesus said that with every healing he did, with every kindness he showed, he tells us what God is like. Now, there's a famous scientist. I got an old picture of him here for you. He was actually testifying to Congress. And yes, he was smoking a cigarette on the Congress floor. Okay, I, 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 that's the picture. I'm just showing it to you. His name was Oppenheimer. And he's from the 1960s. And he said it, it's actually a great quote. The best way to send an idea is to wrap it up in a person. It truly is the best way. In other words, ideas are abstract, but people aren't. Ideas can be hard to understand, but you can talk to people and see how they lived and their concept they believed. Jesus said, how, how am I going to word this? In Jesus, we see the idea of God wrapped up in a child. Jesus was literally God in flesh. And even when Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, that part of the story tells us a couple things about God. It tells us two crucial and critical aspects of Jesus' ministry we might miss if we didn't have the story of Jesus in the manger. The first thing Jesus' birth teaches us was that he was willing to be approachable. Have you ever noticed what happens when a mother brings a baby into the church besides me taking them automatically? Has there ever been a baby that's coming to the church I have not taken? No, 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 no. Don't worry if you're a visitor. I just take them out in the middle and show everybody how cute they are. Everybody wants to be around a baby and a child and hold it in their arms. You, you make strange faces. Adults make strange faces at babies. And they make funny noises. And they hold them in their arms. You would never do any of those things with an adult. But for a baby, we do it. And why do we do it? 
because a child doesn't turn them away or make fun of them. Babies are approachable. And during his ministry, Jesus was like that. He was approachable. That's, that's why his ministry was. That's why he was. He wanted to be approachable. At one point, he said, come unto me. Come to me. All who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The second thing we learn from Jesus' birth is that he was willing to be vulnerable. That's a tough word, but think about it. God who's willing to be vulnerable. There's probably nothing more vulnerable than a baby. They have hands and feet, but they don't know how to use them yet. They can't defend themselves. They're easily hurt. And you know, when Jesus was a baby, that was perhaps the most vulnerable he ever was. Until and he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. You see, Jesus was God in flesh. He was God telling us that he cared enough for us that like a child, he was willing to be approachable and vulnerable because he loved us. Now, I am intrigued by one person's description of Christ in Christmas. And I'd love to tell you who made it, but I know the quote in my head and I can't remember the person, so I cannot give them credit. He said, to get ready for Christmas, God undressed. He stripped off his finery and appeared naked when the day he was born. Think about that. That's a great quote. I just don't know who to give credit for. So somebody will find it for me and tell me who it was. See, Jesus was God. And he, but he undressed himself. Did you realize that Mary didn't have one of those little onesies to put Jesus in to wear? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, because that's what she had. And so Jesus, in essence, came naked into our world as a baby and was wrapped as a gift to us in those swaddling clothes. But why on earth would he do that? Why would God undress and remove his godhood? Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 explains it this way. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus, he did not count equality with him, God, to be grasped, or a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, to be born in the likeness of men, and be found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In essence, Philippians chapter 2 is telling us God emptied himself. He became flesh so he could die on a cross. Why? Well, now follow me here. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, just to give you a visual perspective on this, have you ever accidentally left a loaf, not the new bread, the old bread, the new bread will go six weeks on the shelf, but the old bread, have you ever left a loaf of bread on the shelf for about a month or so? What does it look like after you leave it out for about a month? 
It's all green inside. You ain't going to touch it. It's disgusting. It's one of those, you don't even open the package. You, you kind of pick it up with tongs and carry it over to the trash can and drop it in. Well, that's what sin does to our lives. It makes us disgusting in God's presence. And that's why, as long as our sins are not removed, we won't be allowed to enter into heaven in, in God's presence. Now, this past year, actually years, the news covered a group of students who did an experiment with bread. It was actually November 2019 is when they did the experiment, but they didn't cover it till later. And a couple of teachers in Idaho took five slices of bread, that white bread, one of them was left untouched and immediately zipped up in a plastic bag as a control slice. The other three, and these are the slices of bread, right, were put in little bags, right? Now, now the, one, the other three were handled by all 17 of the students in the classroom, plus both the instructors. In various states of, let's call, cleanliness, one slice was handled by the class without washing their hands. Another was passed from student to student after everybody had washed their hands and used this thing called sanitizer. And the fourth slice was after they had washed their hands with soap and water on top of everything else. Each slice was placed in a plastic bag and labeled and put up in the classroom there. Two weeks went by. The control slice looked relatively normal, as did the one that had been handled by the students after they'd washed their hands and sanitized their hands and all that good stuff with water. The slice handled by students who used hand sanitizer looks a little bad, right? The one where no one washed their hands was atrocious. Now, if you can't read it, the one that was wiped on the keys of a Chromebook, I'm gonna save for another sermon. I can preach that one, okay? That's the Chromebook they use in classroom. And I just can't fit it into the sermon, but I wanna declare what was done up there. They wiped it on a Chromebook. Why did the slice that the students handle, who hadn't washed their hands, look so terrible? Because everybody has germs on their body. And scripture tells us that everybody has a spiritual form of germs. It's called sin. And everything we touch becomes so gross to God that nothing we offer him is acceptable unless we're washed first. And what can wash away our sins? Well, throughout the Old Testament and many a songs, God taught us the only payment could be made for sins was the blood. The blood of the flawless sacrifice. Animal had to die in their place to bring forgiveness. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but if the blood is pure of the sacrifice, is let's say there isn't a sacrifice available and there's no nothing pure to cover our sins, what happens? We'll die in our sins. Thus, the only way for us to avoid dying in our sin is for someone has to die in our place. And the law of Moses repeatedly called for the blood of animals. Thousands of animals were sacrificed every year so that the blood of those animals could die in place of people whose guilt would bring them God's wrath. 
But now, in the back of their minds, everyone suspected the blood animals really didn't fix the problem because what happens when you walked out of the temple? Those animals hadn't volunteered to die for someone else's place. So was, what was really necessary was a perfect someone who is willing to die for everybody else's sins. No mortal man could be found who is sinless enough to take their place. Now the book of Isaiah chapter 59, we're told about God's dilemma. God saw there was no one else who was, and he was appalled that there was no one else to intervene. So in his own arm worked salvation for him. That's what it says. And his own righteousness sustained him. That's Isaiah chapter 59, if you want to read it later. It's a great read. Yeah, I think it's verses 16, 17. He wrapped himself in swaddling clothes as a gift for you and me. A gift beyond description. A gift beyond wonder. A gift for you and me. In the book of John, we read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know that. That's John 3.16. God stepped out of heaven, stripped off his godhood, wrapped himself in swaddling clothes, and allowed himself to be rejected, beaten, crucified, because he loved us. If he hadn't loved us, it would mean nothing. This morning... You got to see a whole bunch of little children stand up here. They had a good time. Let me ask you something. Were they perfect? No. Did you care? No. Right, Flo? They just come up there. Then you have other people up here playing. See, every week we do something different. See, you won't remember this service as much as those kids. They'll be remembering they got their pictures taken. And a couple of them just showed up and we, they all got up here. Although one or two hide every once in a while. Now imagine if I told you, you had to get up here and sing this Sunday. Would you have the courage? <laughs> There's something about growing old that we realize our frailties. There's something about a newborn baby or a young child that they have, they can conquer the world. Some of you have gray hair. Some of you have, and us have no hair. We got a little older. We realize all our shortcomings. We realize that our frailties, we realize our aches and pains. But a newborn babe wrapped in swaddling clothes speaks that you can overcome it all. Yes, the wise men supplied gifts that would support them when they were on their journey to Egypt. Yes, the gifts were normal things for who they were talking about. But you have to remember all of heaven wandered and was in awe. All the chorus of angels came and joined the shepherds. Think of what they saw. The son of the most high God laying in a manger. For you. If you were the only person ever born, he had to come. 
because the animals wouldn't do it. He loved you that much. That's what we celebrate. Now, if we're quiet, you'll hear the kids downstairs. Shh, shh, nobody say nothing. Well, they were making noise. Did anybody hear it earlier? They're enjoying themselves. So I'm going to have us enjoy ourselves. We're going to close in a prayer. We'll have a song. Then you're invited out for a cup of coffee and some goodies. We come to church to worship. We also come to church for fellowship. You know, I pray for you guys. You don't even know that. Although every once in a while, one of you mess up and move to a different seat. I normally got to figure out where you sit, right? Jeremiah is the only person I got an advantage. I, 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 he, he don't get to go anywhere. Jeremiah's up here, right? Some of you move around. But I would also ask that you think of each other during this Christmas and lift them up for prayers. We have people who've fallen down. We've had people who've broken legs. We've had people who've broken hips. They need prayer. We pray for the doctors, the nurses. There's prayer needed. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you came in human form by the gift of your Son to pay a price we could not pray. That he might be our advocate, our counselor, our attorney to stand before you, to defend us. We do not, we're not defended by just anybody. We're defended by your Son. And all he has to say is they're covered by my blood. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west because of the blood of Jesus. If he hadn't loved us, this would all mean nothing. Now bless us, guide us, and help us in this understanding. And all God's people said, Amen.